another episode of what's up with dj my name is dj each week i bring you topics about current events career development holistic living life hacks and stories of inspiration and humor so be sure to subscribe like comment and review the show and i really really want you to write a review for the show on apple uh, it really helps out because your comments are encouraged and always appreciated so my guest this week is a wonderful, wonderful, I've been listening to her interviews and I just think it's just, uh, she has an amazing, amazing spirit. Um, and it sort of, you know, I have to say it sort of makes sense with the work that she does because she just has the aura that is needed to do the work that she, she does. So our guest this week is Emily Thoreau Threat. I love that last name, Threat. You know, let you know that, hey, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily Thoreau Threat is, a, is the author of Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. Having gone through the experience of two husbands' death, as well as the deaths of her father, mother, sister, many family members and friends, Emily has much experience in the grieving process and has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy. Her mission is to comfort and support those dealing with grief and loss, focusing on positivity. She's earned a master's degree in English with a concentration in writing, which led to her career teaching writing at the university level. So she has naturally turned to writing to deal with her grief. She also is teaching those dealing with loss how to use writing to deal with their grief. When she's not writing, you can find her in her garden, tending to her garden and walking on the beach, which makes sense. She lives in Hawaii, people, so... <laughs> Her walking on the beach is quite different from most people walk on the beach. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you're here as well. We're going to learn so much um, about uh, dealing with grief in this episode. And um, you have been very helpful when my, one of my best friends passed away some years ago. It took me years to get beyond um, that grief of losing that friend of mine who I thought, you know, would always be in my life because I was 28 at the time, 44 now, but 28 at the time. And at that age, you don't um, think about losing your best friend. What was um, the road to you becoming a grief transformation expert? Well, that's kind of a, a title I coined for myself because of all the experience that I've had and having dealt with it all. And also in helping people through the process. So each time 
someone's died in my life, I've learned more from the experience of how I dealt with it and how I felt after the loss. Mm -hmm. And I've done that enough now that I have lots of different things uh, that I can address all kinds of different things related to dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, kind of how I got to where I am on that. It's just lots of practical experience. Mm. And what some of your experiences? Well, you know, one thing I did mention in the bio about you, the death of, of two of your husbands. And but um, listening to your story, it seems as though, well, you've sort of your life has sort of led you up to this particular point where you, so could you tell us a little bit about, about just, you know, you sort of your, your, uh, your path to, to how you got to be the grief transformation expert? Well, Jacques died. I had been married to Jacques for 22 years and we had a great marriage. He was a uh, he was an intellectual, you can have deep philosophical conversations with him since he was a philosophy professor, but he also was a very happy person mm-hmm. and he loved to smile and laugh and entertain. And he used to act a lot in all the theaters that we had in our community. And there were several and he loved to sing, had a fabulous singing voice. So he, he really lived life full out. And mm-hmm. it was really wonderful being married to somebody with an, an attitude like that because it just felt good. The mm-hmm. last couple of his year, couple years of his life were the hardest as far as his health. He, he had health challenges starting about five years after we got married, but the last couple of years were were really hard. And I spent lots of time with him. Actually, all my time, I had uh, stopped working so uh, away from the home so that I could be with him 24-7, whether he was at home or in the hospital. And when he died, I was really kind of lost. I, you know, my whole life had been wrapped around what I was doing with and for him. Mm-hmm. So I... was your first husband or second husband? This, this was... Uh, Actually, my first husband was a marriage that didn't last very long. This is my, my second husband. My second okay. and third husbands died. So my second husband um, was, uh, he had um, heart failure. He had two open heart surgeries. He had uh, renal failure, that's kidney failure. And the combination of all of them are what eventually took him. And they all caused a lot of problems, lots of different kinds of problems as we went along. And after he died, it was like, um, I was kind of lost. I wasn't sure what to do, where to go. I had um, given up my job to stay home to to be with him. And so I didn't have a job. I just wasn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. And finally, the university where I had been teaching called me and said, won't you please come back? We really need you. So Mm -hmm. I did go back to teaching at the university, and that kind of gave me a structure to my life again. Mm -hmm. And I started uh, having some really good experiences that helped me move forward in my grief. Um, I'll give you an example of that. When it was about a year after he died, it was New Year's Eve, and I thought I should be making some resolutions because I'm not doing so well right now with Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. 
but I couldn't think of, of what would be good. So I just sat and meditated on it for quite a while. And mm -hmm. finally, it came to me to accept invitations. Now, I thought, well, that's crazy. <laughs> Nobody's inviting me anywhere or to do anything. Mm -hmm. But I thought for me to have that feeling so strongly, it must mean something. Mm -hmm. So I made the commitment for, for that year, I was going to accept invitations and see what happened. That was my intention. So so people who were sending you invitations to parties, to you, New Year's parties, you... No, not, no, no New Year's parties, because I did this on New Year's, but not parties. I didn't get invited to parties, and that was fine. But there were other kinds of invitations. Mm -hmm. The first one I got was from the... Uh, newspaper for the county and it, it was in a, a very big county in California and they contacted me and asked me if I would like to be on their editorial board for the year hmm. and I thought hmm, I don't know anything about <laughs> being on an editorial board and not much about journalism I, I had written uh, things that had been been published uh, in the paper before but it I just I, I said, yes, I just, you know, mm -hmm, I could talk mm -hmm. myself out of this really easily, but I had promised myself to say yes. And it was an amazing year. I met so many people, uh, politicians trying to, to get the paper to uh, print their point of view, mm -hmm. uh, business people trying to do wonderful things for the community and the county, all mm -hmm. kinds of different people that, that they would pitch ideas to us and we could help guide the paper on what we thought was appropriate for them to to write about and what we didn't and it was a really fascinating experience mm -hmm. and that felt so good that i thought well this acceptance thing seems to be kind of working and other invitations kept coming my way i ended up uh, being on the um, ethics committee at the local uh, not local, the regional Med medical center. Mm -hmm. My husband had been on there as a professional, as a bioethicist, and they had an opening for uh, a community person to be on. Mm -hmm. And since I wasn't a bioethicist, I thought the community person. And they invited me to do it because they said they always loved Jacques' perspective so much, they were sure that they'd uh, appreciate mine too. Mm -hmm. And that was very, very interesting because we were actually making life and death decisions for people or helping them make decisions. So, and it, it went from there to, I became the nurse on a bicycle endurance race. I went to South wow. Africa. I did all these other things. All that, this in one year? Yeah, yeah. All from a, making an agreement with myself that I'd accept invitations. Mm. And by doing that, it helped me so much was grieving because instead of sitting home and feeling sorry for myself, like I have been for quite mm -hmm. a while, I was actively getting out and doing something. And with people who didn't know me that weren't going, oh, that's a poor widow, you know, <laughs> nobody liked that because they didn't know that about me. And they just accepted me as I was right then. Mm -hmm. And instead I of feeling learned, sorry for you. Mm -hmm. And it, it was wonderful to be around the positivity. Mm -hmm. It was really a, a good good thing to do and i was grateful that i i listened to my intuition when that came to me as what i was mm -hmm. supposed to do at that point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so for a whole year you just you know um decided just to like get about my problems 
and mm -hmm. let's just d dive in or lean in as, as everyone is saying now into doing something i would say well you did some things that were different but mm -hmm. just doing things that were going to get your mind off of um the grief mm -hmm. hmm. that's right okay okay and well. then well, let me tell you, toward the end of that year, one of my friends asked me if I was dating yet. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to get you in the market, huh? Yeah. She, she was saying, well, you know, you told me about that. You were going to say yes when you got invitations. And I said, you're not inviting me to date. So never mind. <laughs> so that invitation, you're know? like, no, nah, I don't think you. I don't need yeah, that invitation no. right now. Well, it, it wasn't really an invitation. She just kept saying, you know, you, you, you really gotta go on match.com and I kept telling her she was crazy and okay. finally one night I was sitting at home by myself and thinking you know I agreed to say yes to invitations and I think that she's inviting me to do this okay and I don't know why I'm resisting so hard oh yeah well we know so why you I sat down resisting. yeah well I, I sat down and wrote a really big long list of everything that I would want in a relationship uh big long list very specific. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm safe going into this because if, if somebody on match.com doesn't meet everything on my list that I'm not mm -hmm. interested. <laughs> and so I, I wrote my bio and put it on. And then I went on to look and see, cause I was just going to look for one day and see what happened. And boy, everybody that was coming up for me was, I knew I was in the wrong place. That wasn't what mm -hmm. I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Ron. Oh, wow. And I started reading his bio and he was every single thing on my list. Wow. It was really amazing. And so that was Thursday night. By Sunday, we went out to dinner and we were together ever since after that. Wow. I mean, so, so you know, your friend says, you know, hey, you need to get on, girl, you need to get on match.com. <laughs> so, you, so you create an account and maybe a, a couple of days, a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, you uh you see a, a a guy that checks all the boxes um and you guys go on a date thursday and then sunday you just knew it yeah it, it wasn't even a couple weeks later it was the day that i signed on that oh, i wow signed. the same day that's amazing and what's even more amazing than that he he asked me uh, a couple of weeks or not a couple of weeks we've been dating for a while and he said I want to meet Liz and I want to thank her <laughs> for what mm. she did with mm. getting us together. I said, okay. So I called her and she said, yeah, mm. come on over. And when I got there, they both were looking at each other that we were having a conversation, but you could tell they were looking at each other like something was, you know, mm. and it turned out that they had been, uh, they were older than I am. They had been at UCLA at the same time. Uh, and they both were recruited to UCLA because it was a time when they were trying to do diversity and they didn't have any and mm -hmm. they both were diverse and okay. they, they wanted to. So, so, um, so Ron was African-American. Yes, he was too. Okay. And Liz was too. Okay. And so they, um, they worked on these projects together. They didn't really, it was, it was a group. So it wasn't like they were good buddies or anything, but they had worked in this group together years before in this high potential program, they called it at UCLA. Mm -hmm. And so the, the whole thing, uh, I, it connected somehow, you know, mm -hmm. to connect the dots that she, she brought me to him when she, neither one of them realized that there was even any connection.
Oh, wow. So, so everything is coming, basically a, a 180 is happening or it's a 360 is happening where, uh, you know, and I believe in that we life offers these synchronicities to it where everything sort of connected and you begin to see, oh, wow, this is connected to that. And so this is happening to you. And, um, you know, your friend who doesn't even just say, hey, get on match.com and, and see meet somebody, girl. And you was like, OK, well, fine, <laughs> I'll do that. And then come to find out she she run and Liz know each other. And, and so basically um, she's able to tell you, hey, he's a good guy or he's a bad guy. But obviously mm-hmm. he turned to be a good guy because you ultimately you two um, became married. Yeah. And um, so you guys are in Los Angeles still? Not not Los Angeles. We were in Bakersfield, California. Oh, Bakersfield, actually. California. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were together from, from then on, and we had a really good life together. He was uh, a religious science minister, which I also didn't expect. <laughs> oh, wow. But, he very much believed in living in the moment and he taught me a lot about that sort of thing so we really lived our lives in the moment and that made it so much different dealing with him with his health issues when they started coming up and ironically he had the same issues that Jacques had Mm. he had congestive heart failure and then he had kidney failure and the combination of the two led to him dying. So oh. I thought, gee, I've already been through this. I get to do it again. Wow. And, but I'd learned a lot when mm. I was taking care of Jacques and I was able to ask the right questions and get him to the right people at the right time and that sort of thing. So that did help. But we also were very aware of what the consequence of his health challenges was coming to be and so we just we made the best of it he decided um he had lived on on maui in hawaii many years before he knew me and we had been in the time that we were together to maui several times we came here on our honeymoon and he found friends here that he'd known all those years ago and i never saw maui like a tourist because i always saw it from his perspective perspective Mm -hmm. and it it was I really felt connected with the island and when a couple years before he actually passed he we realized he really wanted to be here for his final days Mm -hmm. and so even though we had a fabulous home in um, Ventura California just a mile from the beach that we really loved um, we sold it and moved and everything happened within about a week from when, when oh, wow. we put an offer in on this house. We put our house for sale, our house sold, and the offer was accepted, and we were on our way. Wow. So, but he was, he was very, very ill right before we left, um, about two weeks before we left. He ended up in in the emergency room with 12 people working on him on, on a code. And they, he ended up uh, surviving that and then being placed in ICU. And I thought, I'm not sure how we're gonna move, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, under these circumstances, uh, but everything was already bought and paid for and arranged and we kind of didn't have a choice. And he ended up needing to have uh, a pacemaker put in 
Mm-hmm. And so they they put a pacemaker in just, it was a little over a week before we left for Hawaii. He had surgery to put a pacemaker in. So it was kind of, um, kind of scary, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I can't say I was afraid, but I was concerned mm-hmm. about how to handle and what I would need to handle things. But we got here and we were able to be here two years before he died. Wow. And it, it was a beautiful two years. Uh, he still was in and out of the hospital, but, and then going to dialysis and that sort of thing. But we still had, we met so many wonderful people here. I have, um, in, in Hawaii, they call it Ohana for family. Okay. And I, I have an Ohana here on Hawaii of all these mm-hmm. people that I connected with, which was interesting because we were basically staying at home or going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But we still were, were meeting people. We know all our neighbors, and I'm so comfortable with our neighbors. We walk in and out of each other's houses, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody cooks something good, they'll share it with everybody else. And it just it just feels so good here. It, and, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful here. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So when, when it came time to the point where he knew that this was it, he, he said he really didn't feel like dying that light he, he was dying but mm-hmm. he, he knew that it the time had come right and so now how many years had you guys been together before we were that? together uh 10 years a total of 10 years oh, wow. it was it was 10 years like the month after he died mm. so um we it, we called hospice we got him on hospice and we called he called Everybody he wanted to say goodbye to and his friends and family that could dropped everything and came to Maui. We had people sleeping in neighbors' houses and on Mm. air mattresses and everything else so they could all be here for a whole week. And it was like a party all week. Mm. People, he, they did everything from going in and playing music and dancing in his room real upbeat to having somebody come in and and play a beautiful, uh, like a wooden flute. People came over to sing to him. Uh, we sat around in, in Hawaii. They call it talk story, where everybody would, you know, talk whatever their story was. Mm-hmm. And it it was it was pretty amazing. Wow. So it 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 was just a great way to go. So him, so friends and and family and and neighbors, everyone got a chance to say, you know. Um, well, I would say goodbye, but or make peace. But they got the chance to, um, to say how they felt. Yeah, and and to be able to leave nothing unsaid. Mm-hmm. And the people that he couldn't come, fortunately, FaceTime exists, and he actually FaceTimed with wow. everybody, people he hadn't contacted in years, even. But he wanted to say goodbye to him. He he really needed to talk to him. He made amends with someone he was very close to that they had a misunderstanding and hadn't been close for years. And they made amends during that week on FaceTime. It was it was a powerful week, a really mm. powerful week. And he was vegan because that was uh, best for his his health, with the, especially with his mm. kidneys. And he'd mm. even had me become a certified vegan chef so that wow. <laughs> we could have good food. And... <sighs> 
so we asked him what he wanted to eat that last week. And he said, well, I want ribs and cornbread and greens and wow. <laughs> um, apple pie. And so we said, okay, you know, who cares whether you're vegan or not? You know, that's what you want. <laughs> so we had people come over there were barbecuing ribs and doing stuff. And oh, wow. It sounds great. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a ribs guy too. So I, I definitely, I, if I had one last meal, uh, I I think that would sound pretty much like mine. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so everyone, so you know, he he's basically getting getting that closure mm-hmm. through this process, and um, and so he's accepted that you know things are coming to a um to to an end. You know that mm-hmm. that his life he's going to transition. Yeah. Um, so was what was it like for your for for um his name right? Jacques? Jacques. Jacques, yes. His dad was French, so okay. Uh, was he is he was he as accepting and and sort of you know was able to to make that closure before he passed away? No. Hmm. It was different with him. He um when he first started getting really sick, we had people coming out of the woodwork to come visit him and call him and, you know, bring flowers or bring food or do that sort of thing when he was first sick. But he ended up being sick for two years. And the longer he was sick, the more people kind of fell away from us. Till the last year, we were pretty much alone. My daughter lived out of state, but she was working for somebody that, that lived in our community because she, she had moved from there and continued working uh, virtually for him. So she'd come uh, come back about once a month and help me. And I had a friend that, that from back in before we started high school that showed up on my doorstep and ended up staying with me for about six months and mm-hmm. helped me take care of him at the end. But it was that was it. Nobody else was really around. And that was really a challenge for Jacques because he was a very social person and he loved to be social and loved Mm. to visit with people and they just weren't coming. So when it got to be the, the, when he was ready to go, or I didn't know he was ready to go, but when he was on his way out, I should say, he had written a textbook that was used, is still used even mm-hmm. though he's gone it's used around the world an ethics textbook and he wrote it in 1975 and he kept making revisions to the book every couple of years to keep it current with what was going on in society to make it relevant and he had was working on this edition of his book and he'd been working on it for about a year longer than he was supposed to be because it was just too hard for him and mm-hmm. i was i was helping him with it and helping him with typing and doing all that stuff and he finally got it done on this friday morning he was so excited that he got it done and it was the first time we got to submit a book electronically instead of running off tons of pages and copies and stuff mm-hmm. and when we did we called the editor and said hey we just submitted it and we had like this celebration it was just really cool mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. he, he was concerned that he wasn't going to get this done and he was just absolutely thrilled and right after that we were eating lunch and he just said am I going to die? Am mm. I and not, not that's not what he said. He said, am I going to get better? That's what okay. he said. And, and when he said, am I going to get better? I thought all this time he's been thinking that going to the hospital and 
going to the doctor and doing all these things and having surgeries and everything was to make him better. Mm-hmm. And it, in that moment, it realized he realized it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So we went out to the car to take him to so dialysis. So he hadn't fully accepted the, so I would take it that you understood that, that he was not going to recover from this illness. Yes. But he I hadn't did. fully accepted it. Mm-mm. No, he didn't. Mm-hmm. And so now it seems like reality is, 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 you know, he's starting to, face the reality of that Mm -hmm. I'm not going to recover from this yeah Mm. so about a half an hour after he asked me that question I got him out to the car and he sat down in the car the the door was open he was sitting on the edge of his seat so he wasn't in the car yet and he looked up at me and he said I won't say the word because it's not something we should say on air but it begins with an s and ends with a t Mm -hmm. and said oh that and he was gone just mm, like that just like that wow you know just like that that's pretty powerful it's powerful because you know um we get to decide i mean i think some people don't realize that but um and i'll say i won't say everyone but i would say many people are able to decide when it's time for them to go and when we say it so that keep hope alive you no know, hope mm. does keep us alive but absolutely when he finally accepted that it's like it was several things going on not only did he accept that he wasn't going to get better but it also sounded like he accepted that i can stop this fight yeah i i think that the finishing his book was something that he had to do you know and once Mm -hmm. that got done he didn't have anything left that he had to do and he could start to think about Mm. am I going to get better you know and that's how that happened you know for all that to happen just like that that quickly mm-hmm. there's something within him that had to say I'm 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 complete yeah I'm done I'm done and at the same time I think right at the moment that it happened he said it was like oops <laughs> you know did I do the right thing that's why that, that expression mm-hmm. came out because he, he he looked kind of shocked when he said that like mm-hmm. oh wow i i you know <laughs> this mm-hmm. is actually happening wow wow so did you feel any kind of guilt at all after he sort of you know that or did you feel like you was able to release him or what was your emotions after jacques you know passed away after he came to that realization mm-hmm. For years, I've used medicinal herbs because they are a great way to flush your kidneys and gallbladder, strengthen your immune system, de-stress your heart, and increase proper blood flow. Medicine Man Plant Co. is a Texas-based company that believes in using state-of-the-art best practices enforced by the FDA to ensure the best quality of herbs. Their herbs are blended from the world's best ancient plants and mushrooms proven effective across thousands of years. 
Medicine Man Plant Co. uses modern science to powder and compress easy-to-swallow herbal capsules. They are powerful, quality herbs that help you stay healthy. Try their Stone Breaker Pill if you want to flush your kidneys and gallbladder. The Blood Pressure Pill will help promote proper blood flow and circulation and also addresses high blood pressure. The Uric Acid Pill will keep your joints and extremities clean and pain-free. So go to www.medicinemanplantco.com to begin receiving herbal medicine like the liver pill, which will power up and protect your liver and detoxify your body, or even the immune pill that will defend your body and support and strengthen both your innate and active immune systems. Again, that's www.medicinemanplantco.com. I, I, was, I, I felt no guilt. Mm-hmm. That I didn't feel that there was anything for me to be guilty for. I felt mm-hmm. like we had both been doing the very best that we could especially in those last two years that were so hard. And we, you know, we were there together the whole time. And I, I felt like I, in a way I was relieved because it takes a lot of um, energy to watch someone you love suffer the way he was suffering. Mm. And I think that, uh, that gave me kind of a sense of relief when I knew that he wasn't going to have to continue to go through all the the difficulty he was going Mm. through. Mm. So, so that was your second husband, but first Mm -hmm. husband to pass away. And Mm -hmm. for your third husband, second husband to pass away, his experience of dying was totally different. Totally. The total opposite of of the second husband and you spoke about it so beautifully um about how he was surrounded by friends and family and connecting with family through technology and him may have to make peace with it and people having Mm -hmm. a chance to make peace with him and how that must have been a stark difference in seeing the two years with Jacques and then the two years would run. I mean, how did that, when you think about, think back on those two years, looking at how Jacques passed away and that, that process and the process of how run his two years of him, you know, passing away, what comes to your mind? I think, or I should say, probably I believe that they both were kind of doing things the way they wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. They didn't, they didn't want it to be sudden. They had things to deal with that they, they wanted to complete. Uh, Like Ron felt that we just, he wanted to be able to spend more time with me because 10 years is, is a, heartbeat in a life you know Mm -hmm, it's not mm -hmm. that long we would have liked to have been together longer uh so that and and with with uh Jacques it was it was just different because of him just not not really the one thing that I do kind of I don't know if I can say I regret this because it probably was the best way for him to not realize that he wasn't going to get better that Mm -hmm. he wasn't going to get well uh, because that 
gave him um, the strength to move forward so mm -hmm. that he could finish his book because that was so important to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that hope, that, that's the word that comes to mind mm -hmm. when I think about that, is that he had that hope. And we like to think that, you know, being hopeless is a bad thing or losing hope is a bad thing. But that when that hope dissipated, he was able to release and move on once he so maybe the the i'm using the wrong words here to better to, to describe it but i can do i can i can understand deciding to put down the the sword and shield and saying hey i'm not going to beat this um let me accept this and move on i can i can understand that and maybe also he could see that he was relieving you of a lot of pressure as well. Yeah, I, I think they, they both could see that. Mm -hmm. And it, it was interesting with Ron because he was so, I think I'd say graceful in how things happened. Uh, there wasn't anger, there wasn't um, frustration, there wasn't anything like that, just when mm -hmm. things would happen. And we would notice that men deal with it. For instance, his birthday was about a month before he died. And a friend gave him a book that he really wanted to read. It was the, the last year of Martin Luther King. And oh, wow. I, I can't remember the name of it, but that's what it was. And he, he really wanted to read that book. And so he tried and I could see that he was struggling. Now, this, this is a man with three master's degrees and he was absolutely brilliant. Both of my husbands were brilliant. and to see him struggling with reading i said are you having trouble seeing that and he he said yeah i guess i am i guess that's what the problem was because it just hadn't dawned on him because he'd always just picked up books and read them read mm -hmm. to read them before but mm -hmm. he just couldn't focus and so i said well let me read it to you so we ended up sitting outside on on our lanai in our beautiful yard here in maui and me reading the entire book to him over a period of a few days mm -hmm. uh, because he really wanted to know what that book said and it, mm -hmm. it was precious time together it was really precious i was so glad that that we noticed it and that he he accepted without fighting it or anything that mm -hmm. he did want to know what that book said and it was okay for me to read it to him Wow. And it was really a beautiful experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It speaks to his acceptance, you know, mm -hmm. so he didn't get frustrated that he, his eyesight was deteriorating. That didn't frustrate him. He just said, Hey, you know, sweetie, read the book for me, you know, and, you know, problem solved. So that, that, you know, and, and for Jacques, you didn't feel the, you know, was it, you know, was it the struggle? Was that a fight? Was it fighting for him? That it feels like he was, you know, fighting through, um, through the through his sickness, in comparison to Ron. I'm not sure. I'd say fighting. I think more enduring. Mm -hmm. What it was, just you know, accepting it as that's what it was, and. Mm -hmm. When when you've got that thought that you're going to get better, then you know you you can uh, put up with things, mm -hmm. you know, like if you have the flu, you know, you're probably going to get over the flu. Yeah. And so you might feel really lousy when you got the flu, 
but you know that soon you're going to be feeling better. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I know I did just reminded me of being in labor with my children. It was mm-hmm. pretty hard, you know, mm-hmm. pretty extremely painful, but I, can I, well, I, can't, I can't imagine because yeah. I'll never have that experience, but that <laughs> I could, I could imagine holding my baby in my arms in, a, mm-hmm. in just a few hours. I knew it would be a few hours that I could do that. And whenever I started getting it overwhelmed, I would just start focusing on holding that baby in my arms. Mm. So when, if, if you've got that hope to look forward mm. to, you, you can endure anything. Mm. Yeah. It's when hope is gone that, that life can be pretty miserable. Yeah. 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 And, and maybe if he would have realizing that the hope was gone and then him trying to hang on to life, then I think maybe things would have gotten pretty miserable for him. Mm-hmm. I think it would have. So that was part one of our my conversation with Emily Thoreau Threat. And she's a grief transformation expert. And I really enjoyed the conversation with her. This is part one of our conversation. And what I learned, how to support someone through grief, how to support someone who's dying. You know, that's a, a difficult thing. Um, and how she was able to be supportive to to her husbands who passed away how she was supportive to them and about how hope keeps people alive like the like the the the, the saying keep hope alive well hope does keep you alive you know so join us Wednesday when I will post part 2 of our conversation we definitely will learn about how do we grieve and the different kinds of loss because it's not just one type of loss. There are different kinds of loss that we experience. And as always, you can reach out to me, DJ at DJCareerCoach.com. Again, that's DJ, DJCareerCoach.com. And um, until Wednesday, bye. Because I don't belong here